This is State of the Nonprofits. I'm your host, Autumn Vest, Executive Director of MSS. I am really excited about this episode because Bailey Hennis, Executive Director of the Recording Library of West Texas, is jumping in to co-host with me. Hi. So I'm super excited to have Bailey. If you don't know, Bailey and the team at Recording Library of West Texas are our partners in the production of this podcast. So it's fun. She's been a guest a couple of times, but she's co-hosting today because a few months ago, she attended the Texas Nonprofit Summit hosted by the One Star Foundation and came back absolutely raving about today's guest, Katherine Ashton, founder and CEO of Giant Squid Group based in Austin. Bailey, what made your mind just spark? Okay, not only only do they have a really cool name which stood out because it doesn't it's it, it sounds fun right instead of some professional acronyms that go on and on and on so Catherine showed up with her team and I was like, okay, this is going to be great because I could already tell that they had a very progressive way of doing things. Um, I just really loved what Catherine and her team had to say that day. And then we invited her down to a lunch and learn. I want to say Association of Fundraising Professionals. Yes. Jumped right on board with Bailey. Yes. Yeah. I I reached out to Melanie and I said, hey, you guys should consider bringing uh, Giant Squid Group down because they, they just know what they're doing and they're fun and I think it would really benefit leaders of our communities. They kind of just deal with the whole team, which is something that I really appreciated. As Autumn said, we collaborate with State of the Nonprofits. I'm usually behind the the microphone doing all of the production side of it, but today um, I get to talk, and we appreciate Autumn doing audio descriptions uh, when she brings guests into the studio. So just quickly, I'll, I'll give a brief audio description of myself for our visually impaired audience. I'm 5'8". I have medium-length red hair. It's kind of brownish red. I usually dye it out of a box, and I got the wrong color this time, so it's really dark. And oh, I like so it, though. It's a dark red. I am wearing a burgundy shirt under a black blazer with black slacks and my nails one hand um, is orange with a green flame and the other hand is green with an orange flame before we introduce Catherine, I'll give an audio description of myself. I am five foot two. I have short pixie brown hair. And today I am wearing a little blue sundress thing with lemons on it because I just needed to be bright and festive. And when, when life gives you lemons, right? do a podcast. <laughs> Okay, so Catherine, you're on standby. Welcome to State of the Nonprofits. Thank you so much for having me here. It's so great to chat with you both. We're super excited to have you. Thank you for coming to Midland, Odessa, to do the AFP luncheon that you did. Thanks to AFP, by the way, for connecting us to make this podcast happen, too. Absolutely, and it's a testament to how much I fell in love with Bailey at the Texas Nonprofit Summit that I flew to Midland in late July, June, where it was whatever month it is, 106 <laughs> degrees. It so, was, it was hot. Uh, I, I try to make it a, you know, a rule to not fly anywhere hotter. And yet somehow I managed to. <laughs> well, at least it was dry. Yeah, we appreciate That's that. True. So Catherine, can you, can you give an audio description of yourself for our listeners? Yes. So I am a white woman. I am 5'5". Five five. I am chubby and I have a asymmetrical bob haircut that is growing out painfully from an undercut, which was decisions were made. So I try to look polished. And then by the end of the day, especially in the humidity, I sort of look like a character from the Rugrats going back to the 90s. Uh, I have big glasses on today and a sort of 
peachish red romper because I will always be wearing a romper no matter the season. And I just made myself a pair of earrings uh, using a laser cutter that say she on one side and her on the other side. So I'm really enjoying getting to wear those. That is cool. I love that. And I also love the romper vibe because I love that rompers are a thing. So let's start out with Catherine. What in the heck is Giant Squid Group and why is it called Giant Squid Group? So excellent question. Giant Squid Group is a social impact consultancy that works with nonprofits at all stages, but particularly early growth stage and through transitions through an intersectional feminist and anti-racist lens. So we do a lot more than just fundraising. We do leadership and capacity building, uh, capacity filling, whether that's fractional work or, or grant writing. And we're really looking at making fundraising more sustainable and more equitable and aligned with community-centric fundraising values. That's what we do in a nutshell. We are based in Austin and Chicago and have a fabulous group of contractors around the country. And the name, I always say there's there's really no good reason for the name. I was at a dive bar 15 years ago, probably, with my husband, who then I was just dating, and my best friend. We, we were just talking over some beer and said, what if we came up with a company name? And somehow that devolved into Giant Squid Group, and it just stuck. Today, it really, to us, just represents a little bit of a reverence, a little bit of levity, doing things differently but having fun while we do it. So whether that's being tattooed or having bright colors on our website or writing things a little bit, you know, snarkier than you might expect on normal business copy, it it brings some a breath of fresh air to us doing this really, really emotionally laborious social justice work. You know, it's, it can take a big toll on all of us to, to be fighting for social justice and racial justice and economic justice. So when we can show up fully as ourselves, it makes the work that much easier. Well, and when you came here to the Association of Fundraising Professionals uh, of the Permian Basin, you gave a presentation called Stop the Revolving Door, and you talked a lot about why people are quitting and why it's hard to replace or find people in certain areas kind of focused a lot on development, but I think it kind of resonated across the board of the challenges that we're having with recruiting and retaining employees. And I think a lot of who you are as an organization speaks to being progressive and changing the the working environment. A lot of what I discussed was definitely things I think that everyone on my team and the partners with whom we work have experienced firsthand, right? Whether that's work trauma or work discontent or not knowing how to balance, again, this, this really emotionally taxing work with life. And then the realities of working in the nonprofit sector, you know, low salaries, long hours, a lack of good benefits, all of that. As we all responded to that in different ways, starting with me founding the company shortly after my daughter was born, we really had to live into what it meant to be people first. And as the company's grown and we've worked with so many wonderful partners from across the country, that idea of what it means to be people first is always challenged right? It's challenged as we've added people to the team with different life circumstances than, you know, than mine, different uh, lived experience, whether it's neurodiversity or different racial backgrounds or different religious backgrounds. And every opportunity we go, well, why are we making these decisions? Is this just because we've always done it this way? And this is how we learned at our first job when we were 23? Or is this really the right thing for the company and for us. The more we asked ourselves those questions, the more we started to see other nonprofit organizations and small businesses asking those questions as well. And 
realized that this is certainly not a silo, right? This is an endemic issue. It's not a trend that the nonprofit sector has incredibly high turnover and started to say, okay, what can we do about it? I think that's really powerful about actually making change because especially here I had the conversation a lot you know we see people moving from one nonprofit to another nonprofit or in our community the transient nature of it because of the oil and gas industry that drives our our community we see a lot of people that will come in because a spouse or partner is working in oil and, and gas industry and they bring this wonderful amazing person and that wonderful amazing person then just gets relocated with them when they leave again and so trying to stop filling the mold with the same mm-hmm. same skill set and the same person and the same outlook on life. I think we keep hearing those things we're challenged. It's because we're not making that change and expecting, we're not being more inclusive and open to the differences that can come with that. And what you just said, you know, about the, the transient nature of just the, the inherent turnover of where y'all are because of the, uh, the local economy, that's probably not going to change in our lifetime. Or right? you know, Austin, the next Ryan one. Almost has the or the next one, right? Austin almost has the, the opposite problem. Everyone's just coming here. There's a lot of new energy all the time. We're sort of all looking for the next shiny unicorn to come. Whereas in Midland, maybe people just have to accept that people are going to stay two to five years and they're going to leave and that's okay. And what do they bring with them that you can learn from and appreciate in that moment, in that era, and then allow them to move on and make room for the next person to come in. It's almost like, uh, for those of you who read Marie Kondo's, you know, The Life-Changing Art of Tidying Up, and I know a lot of us struggled with the idea of getting rid of books, right, that we should hold on to books forever. And, you know, what is, she talks about how, thank the book for where it was in your life, right? You read that book at a moment in your life when you needed that book, you got what you needed out of that book, it is okay to let it go little harder with people. People are not books. We're more complicated, but no one is going to stay in one job forever. It's, and it's not reasonable to think that. You mentioned some statistics around that while you were here. And in one of the statistics that you gave specifically for development directors are that 50% of development directors are anticipate leaving their job in less than two years. That is pretty significant and pretty quick. You just kind of start making that headway and building in certain directions and creating these new efforts and impacts. And then suddenly you've got you've got change again. And what's what's kind of some of the factors that you think are causing that? It is really a revolving door. And uh, a lot of the citations that I was able to reference in the talk that I gave were from a fabulous, fabulous report called the Underdeveloped Report, a national study of challenges facing nonprofit fundraising, which I highly recommend everyone read. It's actually great read. And there is an incredible amount of qualitative and quantitative data that's been done to look at the sector um, and to understand, again, those motivations of why people are leaving. And it's really a catalyst of, of so many challenges. I think one, obviously, we know is is salary. People are just not paid enough for the caliber of work we expect them to do, particularly in a very high stress field. And so of course people are constantly looking to be able to provide for themselves. And I would say anecdotally, and I think a lot of the report echoes this and a lot of us have probably experienced this is there isn't often a lot of room for growth or promotion within a nonprofit. If you have a development department, and particularly going back to development of more than a few people, it is so uncommon to see, say, you know, a manager promoted to a development director position or even to be able to inherit more job duties or more responsibility and get any meaningful pay increase. And so particularly for staff that are just earlier in their career, 
right and maybe they you know they start with a salary that is barely keeping the lights on to say I'm going to keep doing the same job forever. I cannot develop my skills and I'm going to get maybe a 3% cost of living increase every year. And the only way I can both skill up and get a better salary is to leave. No wonder people leave. A lot of the other things were more relational. There's a, a really big lack of professional development, right? And I know personally in my career, that was challenging as well. Um, and still is, how do you invest in professional development for people? And a lot of the professional development opportunities we're given are off the clock, which is incredibly challenging if you have any sort of life outside of work. So to say people are not only going to get paid, not, not get paid enough, then also have to take their own growth into their own hands is another reason why I think a lot of development directors and their, their teams get disillusioned. And another another key thing is it's just the goals, right? We want our development directors to work magic. We want them to be senior enough to come in to build a major gifts program and to grow grants revenue and to mobilize the board and to throw an event. And you probably cannot find one person to do all that. And if you do, they're going to burn out, right? So there's a real misalignment between job descriptions and the reality of what someone's doing. And yet there's this reluctance to fully resource departments. We tend to not move people around within our organization. We look for the unicorns that are out there that are well known. Mm -hmm. And we want them, we want to pay them to come over and fix our problems instead of giving our team members who are already within the organization the tools they need to advance. Well, and I think Catherine said it when she, when you were here, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, by investing in your employee and giving them that on-the-clock training and that on-the-clock time for personal development and professional development, you're giving them an opportunity to show that you are you have value in them. Mm-hmm. And because you're creating that value in them, that creates a sense of loyalty as well. And they maybe will stay a little bit longer. Definitely. Absolutely. And- And Catherine, can you talk more about meeting people where they're at? Um, I think that's a great statement that I've heard from you, uh, meeting your employees where they're at. Absolutely. Two things came to mind. When Autumn, as you were talking, there was a really great conversation that did uh, spark during the AFP Lunch and Learn about are people working for the mission or are people working for a paycheck? What's the difference and why does it matter? And I think when we think about that, people wanting to be invested in, there is this attitude in a lot of nonprofits that, well, you, you're working for the mission. The passion should be enough. And I think increasingly, we're seeing that passion alone is not enough to keep someone, particularly with all the other challenges of just work, right? We, we are working in a culture where we also have to pay our bills. And that does mean meeting people where they're at. And a lot of that, I think, is just thinking about the absolutely myriad intersecting identities that we all bring to work and the fact that it is completely disingenuous and impossible to expect someone to leave all those at the door when they show up for work, whether remotely or in person. So I always talk a lot about my own experiences, but for instance, I live with a chronic illness and I have very, very limited energy. So I don't think at this point in my life, the ripe old age of of late 30s, I could go to an office for eight hours a day. If I did, it would absolutely be at the cost of my relationship with my partner, with my ability to be a good parent, and, you know, goodness gracious, forget even having a social life, right? 
And I don't want my chronic illness to dictate every single aspect of my life. And so I am incredibly privileged to have to work with people that create space for that. Right. And it literally means on my calendar from two to four every day, I have it blocked off for mission critical meetings only because most days I need a nap and that nap is doctor prescribed. And there are about three people that have permission to book over that. And it is truly, is this mission critical? Because the fact is I take my nap, I drink my afternoon coffee and I'm ready to go for a few more hours. But without that, I would burn out. And why would I burn out just to work nine to five? Like, Who said you have to work nine to five, right? Particularly post COVID when we know we can work in a remote world. I do a lot of my best emails and thinking at eight o'clock at night sitting on the couch, right? So that's just one way I've learned to kind of meet myself where I am. But we've also had to think a lot about, again, what that means across the board. So, you know, we have several team members who are neurodiverse and were able to voice, you know, being on Zoom calls with a video on was very draining or having to uh, have meetings at certain hours was not working, right? And so we really just looked back to what is the core that we have to accomplish, right? And our mission, we are a still a mission-driven company, a social impact company, is to meet our clients. Having your video on is not mission critical. If you need to be outside on a walk to, to fully have your brain on and be able to engage in a call, great. So we were creating policies that were very much responsive to the team. And, you know, it's it's truly imperfect. I, as far as I know, as a, you know, completely holistic person, um, very neurotypical, it had not occurred to me until one of my team members came to me and said, I don't think we're accommodating our neurodiverse team members. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. I have never thought of that because that is not my lived experience. And to say, okay, what tweaks can we make to our day-to-day policies and our investment in each other to make this possible? That's what you have to do as a leader. You have to look past certain things to say, is this mission important? Is this going to affect our clients? And if it's not, Mm -hmm. but it's going to make my employee better or feel better or feel more comfortable, then that's a win for me. Well, and I think mm-hmm. that's that's interesting because I'm I am older than both my my uh, friends today. For me, I'm even still in some of this conversation. And I'm listening to you, and I think you're both right, and I love it, and I love this pushing the envelope. And it shouldn't be pushing the envelope in 2023. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm my eyes twitching just a smidge because I'm trying to overcome my good old West yeah. Texas <laughs> norms. We need leaders in the community to start this trend to say that stuff like this is okay. Let's talk more about these trends. Let's at least have a discussion with our board. Let's talk to everyone and see if this is something that we can do moving forward. Absolutely. And I I think that one of the challenges is, and, and, you know, certainly my eyes still twitch too autumn, right? When <laughs> when challenges come up with the team, you know, it is very hard to quell that voice that's like, this is work, just fall in line and do your jobs, right? Because that's, I was raised a good Midwestern girl and you just go and you don't complain and you work hard. The lack of one size fits all, I think is so hard in the nonprofit sector. Because for some organizations, if you are doing direct service and you have a really small team, it might truly not be feasible for your development director to be remote. And that's okay. But then in what ways can you make it work for them? And so I think really looking at those core competencies that are needed and who is boots on the ground is part of it. And that can be a really hard conversation to have, particularly when you get into the fact that even within a certain organization, 
maybe your development director can be remote or hybrid, but your program coordinator can't because they do need to be client facing. And that's where being people first is so diverse. And how do you compensate for the fact that your program team has to be there five days a week, has to commute, has to show up and your development director doesn't without their feeling like there's an inequity there. But that's what I hear all the time is like, well, we have to treat everyone the same. Treating everyone the same does not account for all of the various lived experiences that we have, but it also doesn't account for the fact that everyone's job is really different. Well, and I think it's all about creating balance too. And, you know, I struggle Mm -hmm. with it. I have members of my team here at MSS who are, I am in my chair from eight to five. This is the work that I do. And I am very structured. I don't like to take time off because that work needs to be done. And that's, it's a very traditionalist view. And Mm -hmm. Then you have other people who come on the team who, you know, want to send emails at 6 a.m. because that's when she works best. I'm talking about myself. <laughs> you know, I'm a I'm a 5.30, 6 a.m. email girl, and yeah. I don't feel guilty because you don't have to read it until you get out of bed or get into the office, mm-hmm. you know. But by 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like sagging because I have been up working at 5 a.m. And so finding that balance where everybody accepts who everybody else is on the team, how do you how do you help create that inclusivity so people can work better mm-hmm. together like that? Absolutely. One of the questions that, that I often find myself asking is, well, and, and it's sort of demanding that we validate this work, is posing that it's not a nice to have. What is the cost if we don't? And so that's where, how do we make it inclusive? Well, why aren't we making it inclusive, right? I think it's, again, meeting people where they yeah. are. Why are we being so urgent? And for instance, one of the things that we have attempted to do to make our work hours more equitable is to set core hours that really work for everyone, but also pause and talk to each other when we need to schedule outside of those work hours. And that pausing and talking to each other was the hard part. It was pretty simple to sit down when I was not rushed and I had a fresh cup of coffee and I wrote our employee handbook and it was like, our core hours are 10 to 4. And aren't I a great boss because that means people don't have to start working till 10 or they can end at four as long as they're available. And then the reality was that even that 10 to four was challenging for some folks based on time zones, you know, 10 to four central time, time zones, or we had one team member who's like, my brain just really doesn't work to like meet until later. I can meet earlier if we really need but it's hard or team members needing to leave to pick up their kids or to provide for their parents. And so what we decided as a team was, okay, our core hours are going to be more like 11 to 3 for anyone can book a meeting, no questions asked. But if we need to meet earlier or later, we need to just hit pause, send a Slack message and say, hey, the only time that all of us can meet is, you know, 930. I know that's outside your normal hours. Would that work for your schedule? And the challenge with that is it, is it takes time. Not that much time, but it takes time. So combating that sense of urgency to just check in with people has made a really, really big difference. But let me tell you, it is so hard to not fall back into, this is work, show up when we tell you to. And so creating that equity is an ongoing process and practice every day. You know, the flexibility and the heart that is in our sector gives us the opportunity to grow and to to really try some new things to be more inclusive. Yes. And at the end of the day, I, I, I'm truly convinced that nonprofit employees can do anything, right? And I keep saying, oh, there's no unicorn. Well, we're kind of all unicorns. Those of you who use Facebook, there's an amazing Facebook group called Nonprofit Happy Hour. And literally, that's the shorthand is that 
you know, anyone who works for a nonprofit is a shiny, sparkly unicorn. And I have no doubt that people will get it done, right? Whether they're a development director or a bookkeeper or a program manager, right? People get it done. And the reason that I love talking about and validating that maybe we can get it done differently is so that we're creating the space and the balance and the work-life integration and the boundaries so that we can fully show up to do the work. And the more we can pave the way and have the boundaries to have that energy, then we're really doing the work that we all love to do. Bailey, do you have any last comments, questions, thoughts? I think Catherine really touched on a lot of important topics. And if we can get more leaders within the community to, to start talking about things like this is when we'll see change. One of the the things that we've been thinking a lot about is just we cannot do this alone, right? And I think one of the biggest challenges with any kind of culture shift, whether it's the systems you're using, your hiring, your fundraising norms, is there is no roadmap. We are all in this together and none of us can figure it out on our own. So absolutely, we just have to keep having the conversation and co-create the future we want for this sector. I love this. Co-create in it together. Those things are recurring themes across every episode that we have of State of the Nonprofits. And this is just testament to the validity of that statement and those statements and the validity of, you know, working together, being more inclusive, finding opportunities to meet people where they are and and to not only bring our team together, but to serve our people and our communities as nonprofits where they are. So I really appreciate this conversation. Catherine, thank you so much for taking time to visit with us today. It's just been really great to get to visit and get to know you a little bit. Same to you. What a pleasure to spend the afternoon together. For our listeners, be sure to check show notes. We, of course, will have links to how to connect with Catherine and the Giant Squid Group and learn more about their services and resources that they have available. Bailey, this has been fun. It was fun. We may have some more episodes like this in the future. Please do. So thanks again to our listeners for tuning in. Remember to subscribe and receive notice when new episodes drop. MSS is proud to be a partner with Pioneer Natural Resources. With Pioneer's partnership, we are working to create impact in our nonprofit community with programs like State of the Nonprofits, IT services, and more. As always, thanks Bailey and the Recording Library of West Texas for collaborating with MSS to produce the State of the Nonprofits.